Children, just before we get carried on with the sermon here, I want to make sure I get this. Is key word is holy. What does that mean? God is holy, right? Jesus is holy. We hear about holy angels. What holy means is this to be set apart for special use. Holy angels were set apart for, to send special messages uh, on behalf of God. We are part of God's holy body. So just like you, you think about it at home, you have some special items at home, right? Maybe your mom has special china or special silverware that she, we only use during Christmas or Thanksgiving. Maybe dad has a special, I don't know, trophy or diploma or whatnot, piece of jewelry that's been handed down from generation to generation. These are special things. So today the key word is holy. You're going to hear it over and over. So ask your parents later on, what does it mean to be holy? Today, brothers and sisters, we're going to be out of 1 Corinthians 6. God came down so that we could be holy. Advent season, we're right in the middle of Advent. Uh, and next week is Christmas Sunday. But we call, we're called to be a holy people. So if we're able to, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be reading from verse 12 and 20. A little bit of context. The Corinthian world. Immorality, we're talking about sexual immorality, was normalized. It was even institutionalized. That means it was part of the culture, meaning it was part of the economy that supported the city of Corinth. An example of this is the temple of Aphrodite. Aphrodite was a goddess, the goddess of love. And, and the temple of Aphrodite sat in the most prominent physical geographic location in Corinth. It sat on top of the hill where everyone was able to see this symbol. And this was like the local attraction for Corinth. And Corinth was located geographically on the Isthmus, which is a thin strip of land uh, that, that, that sailors would have their boats, just like the Panama Canal, how they use it today. They use, sail, they use their boats to be rolled on wheels so they could cut across the land. And so while their ships are being moved across the land, sailors needed things to do. And there it was, a temple of Aphrodite where there's thousands of ritual prostitutes that served the community in this way. Immorality was just rampant in Corinth. So Paul is addressing this issue here out of 1 Corinthians 6, 12-20. So if you're able to, please rise. That's the context of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, uh, verse 12-20. through 20. Let me read. God's word. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Verse 14. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, he quotes scripture, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality, run. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, 
and that you are not your own. Finishing up here, verse 20. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Father, we thank you for your word, your holy and precious word. I pray, Lord, that we will love you more as we get to know your heart more, Lord, through the preaching of your word. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. This is a heavy topic. It just keeps getting heavier. The battle for sexual holiness is the title of this message. And this could be an uncomfortable topic. What God has made is good. God designed sex. God made sex. And in its proper place, sex is a beautiful thing, a God-honoring thing. But Satan has corrupted sex. That's what he's done. He's marred it. He's made it a shameful thing. That's why things such as prostitution, pornography, cohabitating with one another, clubbing, hookup culture, these are all corruption from the enemy himself. That's why this is so uncomfortable. Last week we talked about homosexuality even. That's why this is such an uncomfortable topic because inherently we know how the world is teaching this is wrong. And nothing could be more damaging to our own personal lives, our relationships with family members, our relationship with church members, than being involved with immorality. I'm concerned. I'm very concerned about our, our youth, our younger people. I'm also concerned with our older people as well. This is something that doesn't just leave you once you get to 25 or something. This is something that stays with you. This is something that haunts you. This, we all have a past in certain, certain ways. So this is very important that we're able to talk about this. So the question that we're going to be answering throughout this sermon, is we've got three points, but the question that we're going to be answering is how to win the battle for sexual holiness. How are we to do that? Well, so let's get to point number one. To win the battle for sexual holiness... Know that, point number one, our bodies are holy instruments for Christ. Fill in the blank, instruments. If you're using the app, you have the opportunity to take notes. Our holy instruments for Christ. Why was Corinth so sexually out of control? Why? Why? I mean, in some ways you would think this has surpassed Southern California. I think it was in some ways. And this is 2,000 years ago. In the Corinthian world, it's important to go back in time when the Bible is written to understand the context so that we understand what God is saying. Greek philosophy was dominated the, the, the Roman Empire. In Corinth, the Greek, Greek philosophy ruled. I mean, they're only 45 miles or so from Athens, the center of the Greek world. And the Greek, Greek philosophy taught that the physical or world or, or things that matter, things that you could touch, such as our bodies, didn't matter. It didn't matter. What you did with your body didn't matter because we're going to lose our body someday. But the, one, the thing that matters is our spirit. So whatever we did with our bodies, whether we had gluttony problems or drunkenness and abused drugs or we're involved with the sexual immorality, it didn't matter because we're going to lose our bodies and our spirits will continue on. This type of mentality entered into the Corinthian church where they believe that the body and the spirit is separate. 
So right here, verse 12, it says, all things are lawful for me. All things are lawful for me. It says it twice. This is perhaps a Corinthian maxim or a motto that they believed in. In, in essence, all things are lawful for me. We have freedom, liberty. We could do whatever we want, right? And then also, Paul quotes another, perhaps a Corinthian maxim. Food is for the stomach, verse 13. Who Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, meaning Meaning food, eating, drinking, is just a biological function. Therefore, sex is part of that. Just like eating and drinking, this is just a biological function. You, we all have cravings. Therefore, we need, if we get hungry, we need to eat. If we get thirsty, we need to drink. And sex is just another biological function. This is not a big deal. So therefore, coupled with freedom and just biological function, that's what was left in Corinth. All right? And this carried into their church. But the Bible says right here, Jesus says right here, verse 13, yet the body is not for immorality. This is, this is contrary to what your bodies were designed for. This is what God says right here. But for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. In this word immorality is pornea in the original language. This is talking about anything, any sex, outside of the holy covenant of marriage. Holy, set-apart covenant of marriage. But our bodies is for the Lord. In other words, just like food has a purpose to, to feed our bodies, we have a purpose. Brothers and sisters, our bodies are instruments to be used by the holy God, Jesus Christ himself. We have a purpose here, brothers and sisters. To serve Christ. Whether it's going out to evangelize La Puente, to go out to the mobile park, or to knock on the neighborhood doors, or to be a light into our communities and our neighborhoods. We have a purpose. We have a purpose. And whether it's Kevin or Daniel who's serving at their universities, we have a specific purpose. It's to serve Christ. And Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of our bodies. In verse 14, look what it says also. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Now, this is where this completely destroys and dismantles this Greek idea as if our bodies don't matter. The Bible is saying right here that our bodies are going to be resurrected for eternity. Our bodies do matter. Although we'll get new bodies, we'll get resurrected, glorified bodies, our bodies do matter. 2 Timothy 2.21 talks about how we're called to be sanctified vessels or instruments for God, right? For the master. So if we know our bodies and our spirits matter and we're built, we're designed to be instruments in God's hand, as Christians, now what should we be thinking? An athlete always wants to become a better athlete. A scholar wants to learn more. If our purpose is to be used as a tool in God's hand, we need to be asking ourselves, how can I sharpen myself to be more useful in the Lord's hand? Amen? This is what we're here for. We're strategically here for. Now, I hear whether I was the days when I was coaching, those days as a discipler, as a coach of football players and, and coaches, or even as a pastor now, I've heard questions such as these. As a Christian, can I still, have you heard that before? Can you relate with me? Or have you been asked that? As a Christian, maybe family members, if I come to Christ, can I still do this? 
I mean, here's some things that come, came up, has come up. If I, as a Christian, can I still watch R-rated movies? As a Christian, can I still go out clubbing, okay? As a Christian, can I kiss my girlfriend? As a Christian, am I able to still go on road trips with my girlfriend or boyfriend? Right, stuff like that. As a Christian, can I continue to read these romance novels that kind of take my mind to a different place or read, uh, watch certain dramas, romantic dramas? As a Christian, can I do these things? Bible says all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Bible says all things are lawful, but I will be mastered by none. My question to you is this. Is that the right type of question that we should be asking as Christians? Can I still do this? Can I still drink? I mean, those sort of things. Some, many things may be permissible, but are they profitable? So rather than asking, can I still do this? I think the question should be, First, understanding that our purpose is to be useful in the hands, the hands of the Lord is, will this make me love Christ more? Will this teach me more about Christ? Will this sharpen me so that I'd be more effective for Christ? These are the type of questions that we should be asking. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Whether, whether you're trying to help your children become better musicians or better athletes or better students, I know you've asked these type of questions and presented these things to, our, to your children. Same, no different as a Christian. Will this help me love Christ more? Will this help me become more useful to Christ? Amen? This, these are the type of questions that we should be thinking of. We need to be shrewd. Time is short on this planet. We want to be as effective and as useful as possible to the Lord. Amen? Let's go to the second point. To win the battle for sexual holiness, know that, point number two, our bodies are holy members of Christ. Fill in the blank. Members. We're holy body parts of Christ. This word members, melos, just means body parts. An arm, a leg, an eyeball the nervous system, a backbone, all right, abdominals, your joints. I mean, these are the parts that, that make up the human body. And why was, I'm going to keep asking this question, why was Corinth so far gone? Well, let me just read this quote. It gives you their view of women. They had a low view of women here. Athenaeus, a second century writer, okay, quotes a Greek statesman of the time. He says, we keep... Hear this now. We keep mistresses for pleasure, concubines for daily concubinage. I'm not sure what that means, but. But wise we have in order to produce children legitimately and to have a trustworthy guardian of our domestic property. Right? So there's a role for certain women in our lives in Corinth. This is completely crazy, right? But this contributed to the immorality that was taking place in the Corinthian church. So, for example, after service, if you ask your uh, brother, or he goes, hey, what are you going to do tonight? Well, I'm going to go home to my wife and family tonight. Oh, okay, that's great. Good, good for you. Or, you know what, I've had a, what are you going to do, brother, this week? Or, you know, I had a hard week. I think I'm going to go visit the temple of Aphrodite. 
Right? And, and these, either answer was acceptable. It wasn't like, oh, what's wrong with you? This is the view that the Corinthians had of women. Obviously, a corrupt view. Obviously, our sisters are to be cherished and devalued, protected, nurtured, and cared for. So prostitution was an institutionalized thing. This was normal. It may shock you, but this is normal. This was normal. This was not a shocking thing. So when verse 15 says this, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That means you're, don't you know you're part of Christ's body? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? He's addressing a very prevalent issue directly. This is Paul. Right? We know Paul is being very direct and very clear about what he's saying. Verse 17, let me read verse 17. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. See, Paul is saying not only are we physical body parts of Christ, but our spirits are united to Christ. Paul is absolutely destroying, demolishing this idea that the body and spirit are separate. Paul is saying, look, body and spirit are one with Christ. We are one with our Lord. When it says we're one spirit with Christ, what Paul is talking about is this, that we have the same affections, same convictions, same motivations, same direction, same purpose. This is what it means to be one spirit with somebody. We have and think the same things. We love the same things. The same things excite us. But not only that, we're his body parts, Paul is saying. We cannot separate the two. So Paul is absolutely shattering this thought here. Joined to a prostitute, right? This may be a kind of a shocking thing for you, perhaps, listening to this. Who does that in the church? Well, in Corinth, it happens. Today, it happens. It happens. Maybe not as openly, maybe more discreetly, but it happens. Verse 16 says this, Or do you not know? That one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her. For he says the two shall become one flesh. This is the sex is the most intimate act that two people could commit. In marriage, a beautiful thing. Outside of marriage, corrupt. And it's reserved in the holy covenant of marriage. This is what we're talking about. C.S. Lewis, Christian author, writes... And says, each time a man and a woman enter into a sexual relationship, a spiritual bond is established. A spiritual bond, a heart connection is established between them, which must be eternally enjoyed or eternally endured. There's some kind of connection that we need to endure or enjoy for the rest of our lives. This is a very serious thing that our Lord is talking about here. So how does it make sense when we're part of Christ to be joined to a prostitute? What would the holy and eternal have to do with the defiled and temporary? Nothing, right? Now let me, I have a picture for you. Or a question that would maybe paint a picture in our hearts. Would you, brother, sister, in person or online, would you bring your mother or father or your children or your grandchildren to participate with you with a prostitute? Would you do that? 
Of course not. Of course not, right? Of course not. The thought is even crazy. It makes you want your stomach jolt a little bit, right? Of course not. Of course not. How much more Christ? This is Paul's point. How can we treat Christ this way? How can we uh, uh, introduce Christ to this sort of a thing? He was trying to make a point to the Corinthians, a hyperbolic statement. That's crazy. Why would you do that? How much more Christ? Now, Christ cannot be defiled. He's sinless. He's holy. He's perfectly holy. Right? But you know what could be damaged? What could be damaged? His reputation. His reputation. You absolutely could forfeit your testimony. You could absolutely put a black eye on the church. You could make Christ have a bad reputation. Who would ever want to do that, right? So, Pastor, what are we supposed to do with this area? I mean, undoubtedly, you know, this is an issue. I believe this is an issue for many of us, men and women, young and old. I think this is an issue. Let's look to the Lord here, verse 18. You know what it says? Flee immorality, run, right? It says run. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Paul tells us the seriousness of this sort of issue. I mean, when it says run, I, my mind harkens to Joseph, of course, in Genesis 39, right? Well, he ran, right, from Potiphar's wife. He did the right thing, ran. He ran out of there and, and, and left his cloak and everything to escape that sort of a thing. Run, the Bible says. Run from these things. And I want to just read a few verses here that would give us a little bit of consequences. So young people, listen to me particularly. Listen to me. I want to read from the Word, so this is not my own uh, uh, opinion here. What are some of the consequences? The Bible says that you sin against your own body. What are some of the consequences that we could incur being involved in immorality? Let's look at Proverbs. You can write these down or read it for us. Proverbs 5, 8 through 10. Let me read this for us. Keep your way far from her, adulteress, and do not go near the door of her house. Or you will give your vigor to others. You can give your life to others and your years to a cruel one. And strangers will be filled with your strength. And your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. Bible says that if you get involved with this sort of thing, someone will own you. Right here specifically is talking about your goods, your hard-earned goods. I mean, think about all the schooling. Think about all the sacrifice to build up your career, to build up a business. Someone's going to own that, it says. I mean, it could be for like child support. It could be for some other things. It could be for blackmail. I don't know. Somehow, someone's going to own you and me. You don't want this. Let's, let's, so... Let's read on here, verse 11. And you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. I think this is talking about diseases, STDs. I mean, as you're involved with immorality, you have to deal with the risk of STDs. could take your life. It could take your life or definitely compromise your life. This is very serious. I'm going to go to uh, chapter 6 of Proverbs 
25 to 26. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. Okay? Eyelids. Verse 26. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. And an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Brothers and sisters, we are reduced from holy members of Christ to a loaf of bread. Our reputation, our effectiveness, our relationships with family members reduced to a loaf of bread. Is it worth it? Let me just finish up here on some of the consequences. Chapter 7 of Proverbs let me read a verse 22 for us. Suddenly, this is the person that follows the adulteress or immoral person. He follows her as an ox going to the slaughter. Or as one in fetters through the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver. This is a mortal wound. As a bird hastens to the snare, as a bird is trapped. So he does not know that it will cost him his life. Verse 26, For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are her slain. Her house is the way of Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. I mean, this is serious. It could cost you your life. It certainly could cost you your testimony and your effectiveness for the Lord. I was driving a couple of weeks ago up to Washington, as we talked about, up the five freeway. And some of us have done that trip up to the northwest. But I saw some fires going on. You know, there's, there's burned parts of the mountain, but there are some fires. And I could tell there are controlled burnings. There, these were not out of control. There, there are people around, they're specialists, and they're, they're burning off things. And we know 2020 has been a horrific year for fires. I mean, we felt it with all the ashes coming out. This is a devastating thing. Millions of acres are burned. Billions of dollars have been cost. Lives have been lost. So this is a serious thing. So they're trying to mitigate these risks by burning off certain areas that have a lot of fuel. Brothers and sisters, we're no different. We need to have controlled fires in our own lives. We need to get rid of things that are, could be fuel for us to stumble in this way. This is how this works. It starts in the mind and the heart. You have to have a clean mind. If you have a clean mind, a, a simple spark will not cause you to burn up into a wild forest fire. Lightning strikes and forest fires happen. No one plans for a lightning. When lightning strikes us through temptation, we need to have a clean mind and clean heart so that all it is is a temptation. You don't want to be set on fire in this way. You do not want to be set on fire in this way. We need to be clean and be vigilant about keeping our minds and our hearts clean. So watching certain movies, watching certain dramas, reading certain type of novels, hanging out with certain people, if that's not helpful, let's get rid of it. We're holy members of Christ. The Bible says all things are Permiss or, 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 or permissible, but not all things are profitable. Right? Let's be shrewd in how we live our lives. Let's be shrewd in knowing how to guard ourselves from these things. So when lightning strikes, all it is is a temptation. That's all that it is. 
Let's go to our third and final point. To win the battle for sexual holiness, know that, point number three, our bodies are holy temples of Christ's spirit. Temples, fill in the blank. Holy, we're holy temples where God lives in us. Let me read verse 19. Or do you not know that your body, there it is, or do you not know, Paul's saying, you should know this already. Or you, this is common sense. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Right? Who is in you? Whom you have from God and that you are not your own. This word temple, a better translation perhaps is sanctuary. A sanctuary. This is a, our bodies are sanctuaries where the Holy Spirit lives. Right? We are connected to God through the Holy Spirit. God himself, God's Spirit, a third member of the Trinity, lives within us, every single Christian. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. I remember some of the rules. You know, we used to take a lot of road trips in coaching, and, and uh, we've had road games. So, therefore, we have to go into cities like Detroit, Miami, Chicago, Atlanta, all kinds of places, all kinds of great places throughout the country. But in Seattle, we're like on the top left corner of the map, and we're kind of almost to Alaska. So we have to take two days, two day trips to get to these uh, East Coast and Central Time Zone areas. So we would leave on a Friday. Games played on Sunday. We leave on a Friday, and we get on the plane and just absolutely just wore out, just tired because we're working at that point maybe 70, 80 hours a week, and we're just exhausted, and game time is what we live for. It's like, gosh, help me. We're tired. We take those five, six-hour flights. We land, and then we get on two buses, and then we show up at the hotel. Well, at the hotel, somehow the people knew that we're coming. There was all kinds of entourage there in the lobby right when we're getting off the bus. They weren't there to see me, of course, but I mean, they're there, right? I'm not saying that's for me, but I'm just saying they were there. I mean, I'll tell you, these road trips, not only were, was coach and all of us concerned about the opponent, because it's tough to play on the road, we're concerned about the element that shows up at the hotel. Think about that. You're in a different town. You think you're pretty cool. You think you're involved with something kind of cool. People are coming around you. This is a form of temptation. So coach would say, hey, look, remember rule number one, guys. What's rule number one? Always protect the team. And his, his idea was this. You're part of something bigger than just yourself. We're not playing individual sport. This is a whole team. You're, you're representing the city of Seattle. You represent the Seattle Seahawks organization. You're representing every single teammate. You're representing every single uh, coach here. You're representing every single Seahawk that played and coached before you. You're representing your wife and your kids. Remember that you're part of something bigger than yourself. Always protect the team. So you may ask yourself, well, how does everyone, anyone fall into immorality of this kind? I believe it's just at pride. It goes right down to pride. We start thinking we're on our own. We start thinking we're above everybody else. We start thinking, oh, it's just me. We start thinking perhaps maybe I am not uh, need to follow the rules. This, is, this does not apply to me. This applies to just normal people. So as I go, as we travel to these places, all of us Christians 
We would have Bible study together. We would eat together. We'd hang out together. We'd pray together. I mean, we need to be prepared. This is one area that we could not afford to stumble in. So do we realize that the Spirit of God lives within us and that we're connected to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and we're connected to every single believer on the planet? Do we recognize that? Always protect the team. Do we realize that I represent not just Evergreen, not just my wife and my children, my relatives, everyone that, that I've discipled as a coach, as a player, everyone that's been associated with me? Do I realize this? Do you realize this? That we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, God says. You're not on your own. I want to finish up with this uh, situation that took place. I, uh, I was listening to a message by my friend Harry Walls, and, and he talked about, the, he reminded me of the story of an airline back in the early 80s, maybe 83 or 84, Avianca Air, okay, it's in Europe. I, I believe they left, this flight left out of Paris, was headed west, and and. and was flying through, over Spain. And what happened was, was a horrific accident. This pilot, I think there's 23 crew members, I don't know, roughly 160 passengers, flew into a mountainside. They never made it to their destination. Avianca Air. And what happened was this, they, they, uh, they always check out the wreckage, and they always look for the black box, right? The black box is the secured, uh, indestructible box that contains information and, and recordings of, of the flight. And so, for, so they tracked it. They, 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 they opened up the black box and listened to what was going on. And the pilot was being warned by an automated voice, pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up. Minutes before impact on the mountain, the pilot thought it was a malfunctioning, malfunction. He didn't take the warning seriously and recorded that he said, shut up, gringo. Minutes later, impact into the mountain, the plane is lost. See, that warning system on that plane it serves to protect the flight, to protect the plane. I don't know if there was bad weather. I don't know that. But our consciences are the same. It serves in that same way. Our consciences, our God gave us our conscience to warn us from danger, from warn us from having us crash into the mountain, spiritual mountain. So when our conscience is hearing, pull up, pull up, pull up, in essence, the, 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 our conscience is saying, run, run, run. So if you're being tempted, brothers and sisters, run. Cut out that relationship. Stop watching these things. Stop listening to the old music. Eliminate certain relationships. Get off the social media if it causes you to stumble. 
Run, the Bible says. Now, let me speak frankly now. For those of us who are in it right now, you've been ensnared. You, you, when I was reading Proverbs, it was giving me chills up your spine. Those of us who are in it right now, when the warning system says to pull up, pull up, pull up, our Lord is saying, repent, repent, repent. See, brothers and sisters, there's always hope in the gospel. You're never so far gone that you cannot repent. Whether it's a prostitute, whether it's adultery, whether it's pornography, whether it's having unhealthy uh, relationships with other people of the opposite sex, as you're in a fantasy world of some kind of a better relationship, some kind of a better life, some kind of a more exciting thing. Repent. Believe in the gospel. Such are some of you, the Bible says. Amen? It's the gospel. It goes right back to the hope of the gospel. This is, a, this is one of the things that I'm concerned about is, is this area in our, in our lives. Whether we act on these things or our thought life is just absolutely corrupt. It's going to be a t- constant battle, brothers and sisters, where you get thoughts, you get temptations, you, people, things are thrown, lightning keeps striking on your head. Just take it to the Lord. Fill your mind up with the truth of the scriptures and take it to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I don't want that. I want you. You're better. I want you. You called me to be holy. I want to be holy. I don't want that. Or if it's happened, Lord, I repent. I, don't, I want to turn from my, these ways. I want to walk with other brothers and sisters to help me in this area. Sexual holiness. Let's not be people or, hey, pastor, that was a very convicting message. And then we do nothing about it. I'm not trying to be convicting. I want to feed you the word. We're calling for holiness. God is calling for holiness. Simply repent and move on. Now, you, let me just say this. Just like last week, you're not in this alone, okay, brothers and sisters. You're not. This is not meant to be such a shameful thing where I can't talk to anyone about this. Church family, we are brothers and sisters. We're family. We're connected to one another. We need each other. If you're going through something like this, talk to other brothers. Talk to other sisters. If you want to talk to a pastor, you can talk to me. Email me, rseto at evergreensgv.org. Contact me. I would love to walk with you. Things aren't going to shock me that much. Just know that. I mean, I'm not perfect either. But we can walk with each other. We can remind each other what we're meant for. We're meant to be instruments in God's hands. Our bodies are members of Christ, body parts of Christ, and the Holy Spirit lives in us. We're temples of God. This is what we're talking about. And as as we close up this message, remember this. Advent season is a special time. And you may be asking, Pastor, why are we talking about this Advent season? Well, Christ came. To make us holy. Amen? This is why we're here. This is where God has called us to live holy lives. So that, so that we have maximum joy in him. There is no greater joy than living for Christ. So when that warning system starts going off in our head, my 
strong charge is to obey it immediately. Because the more you ignore that charge, the more they ignore that warning system, the more dull you're going to be. The more dull you be, someday you may not even hear hard. Your heart may be so hard, you may not hear that warning system anymore. Cultivate a tender spirit. Cultivate a tender conscience before the Lord. If you know there's something there, deal with it immediately. Amen? And in the gospel, there's repentance. It's, it's, it's full restoration. And when people come up to us, just another encouragement, let's embrace them with open arms. Say, hey, brother, hey, sister, I love you. Let's walk together. Right? This is, this is the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to uh, preach your word. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be holy people before you. And Father God, I pray for those who are being tempted right now that we would just be run away from these things. And to those of us who've been trapped, ensnared, Lord, I pray that we would just come honestly before you. We'd repent. We trust in the work of the gospel in our lives. And that we would open up with other brothers and sisters to help us walk. Lord, help us to be holy before you, Lord. Help us to have holy thoughts before you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to make us your holy people. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.